everybody, and welcome to not only a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, now on Radio.com and iTunes, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities. It's our 100th episode of Talking About Cars. I'm Randy Cardoon. You know, it was a little over three years ago that I attended a celebrity car race in Irwindale Speedway in Irwindale, California, and did some interviews for a story that eventually aired on my radio station that I work at, KNX 1070 News Radio. It was a nice story with a celebrity perspective about auto racing, but due to restrictions as how long it could be, it went for maybe two minutes. There was a lot more to tell, though, so I ended up doing a director's cut, if you will, expanding those reports to a whole three minutes, And the more interviews I did, the longer those stories became. In fact, I eventually put them on the internet at SoundCloud, then iTunes, and a podcast was born. And now we're at Radio.com and iTunes. And yes, this is our 100th Talking About Cars. One of the most popular interviews I'd ever done in the first year was the guys from Wheeler Dealers, the TV show on Velocity and Discovery in the UK. Wheeler Dealers made all sorts of news in the past year by, one, changing producers from Attaboy Productions in England to Velocity here in the United States. They moved the site of the show from the United Kingdom to Huntington Beach, and there was a bit of a host shuffle. Ed China exited the show and Ant Anstead replaced him. Interesting to note, Ant and Ed, they're good friends, as you will soon hear. And Ant knew about the opening at Wheeler Dealers before Mike even called him. He'll explain how that came about. In fact, I caught up with the guys, Mike and Ant, at SEMA in Las Vegas. All right, so Ant, let's start from the beginning. Talk about the first car you remember growing up as a kid. I grew up in the sort of 80s, 90s, and my dad had the privilege of driving some of those rubbish British Leyland cars. Um, So I've got fond memories of an Austin Maxi, brown, brown velour interior, and the uh, reverse gear didn't work. And I can remember being a young child sat in the back of that Austin Maxi, driving into Hartford Town Centre, and my dad trying to do a three-point turn, and us all getting out the car to push it backwards, to then get back in to drive it forwards. So I think the brown Austin Maxi's up there. He had a blue Morris Ital, Awful car, unforgivable. Whoever designed the iTown needs to reconsider their career. Um, but um, my very, 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 very earliest memory was my great-grandparents. They're amazing people from the south of England, a place called Cornwall. Um, they bought brand new a Comma Dormobile. Um, it was blue, and it was uh, called Pogel. That was the vehicle's name. And my, my grandparents bought the car brand new, and it was a camper van. And every summer without fail even as a child i have a, I, I've, I remember having a bath in the sink in the kitchen in the camper van um and my uh it was a it was a fixture in my childhood going down my grandfather looked like father christmas with a massive white beard in fact i was convinced he was father christmas um, but i have really early, early memories being four or five years old and every year till i was a 25 year old lad we used to go and spend uh summers in Cornwall, in the Dormobile, and it was so bad that we came to a hill once and we had to drive it backwards because there was no fuel pressure so that the fuel would hit the engine. I'm just amazed at the fact that you you remember taking a bath in the sink had to be somewhere before your 18th birthday. Well, you know, I've had a few beers on holiday in a camper van before, so I'm not ashamed to say I've been naked in many camper vans, Um, but I would have probably been four years old. 
I like this guy already. We're not even three minutes into the podcast, and we've gotten naked already with Ann. All right, now you too. I know we've had you on the program, and you've talked about your first car, but what about the first car you remember from the family? Um, well, just picking up on something Ant said, uh, and it's for the uh, listeners out there, for people who don't know what an Austin Maxi in brown would look like, if you've got uh, any kind of smartphone, go to the poop emoji. <laughs> And that oh, will my dad's favorite car. That, that will be it. Um, so my my very first memory of a car was my dad had a uh, a Ford console. So that's a 19 sort of 50s. Uh, it's a very rockabilly now uh, kind of car, and it was a console. And I can remember something really remarkable happening. My dad was working on the car himself underneath. Um, and he was on axle stands, the car was on axle stands. And I remember there was a huge amount of commotion that was going on um, when I was a tiny little kid, probably about four, three or four years of age. And uh, the axle stands had collapsed and the car had fell on top of my dad. And a guy where we lived uh, sort of just appeared out of nowhere and through pure adrenaline lifted the car up and saved my dad's life. And we become friends with that family uh, for the rest of our lives. And uh, we still are today. And uh, you know, that's a, that was a, a big moment because I remember the, uh, the, the chaos around it. You know, there was a car, a whole car laying on top of my father. So I'll be honest with you, I've never liked the full console since. I can't imagine why. No. Now, for those people who are not that familiar with it and they haven't had a chance to look it up on uh, Google or whatever, uh, Ford console is what a, about as big as a Fairlane, or, or is it yeah. a little less? Yeah. So it's a. It's. I suppose if you. Yeah. If you was to think of a '57 Chevy Bel Air, it would be around the same size as a four-door Chevy, around that size. Big car, you know, big old car. And, of course, it's amazing some of the memories that come up, and, and we all go back a certain distance. Now, Ant, your first car now. Oh, you're going to like this. So my first car, I was 17 years old, which is the age to get a driving license in the UK. And I got my driving license when I was 17 and a day, and I bought an MG Midget called Bridget. Great car, vermilion orange, black soft top, which was held together by gaffer tape. How did the name come about? Well, I thought of something that rhymes with midget. So, do you see what I've done there? Wait a minute. That's amazing. She's small. Like a Bridget. Small, yeah. So, um, yeah, I had so much fun in that car. It was a rust heap. Terrible car. But I, I learned about points, about HT leads, spark plugs, timing, water pumps. Um, I learned about rust, and, and I fell in love with that car. While all my friends, so bear in mind, I was a driver in the 90s. So all of my friends, they had Mark 1 Golfs, Mark 1 Escorts, Renault 5 GT Turbos. Do you remember the MG Metro? The MG Metro. My friend Dominic had a black MG Metro and he thought, yeah, I'm the business. I've got an MG Metro. I'm like, no, you're not. i got an MG Midget. In your face. As I was broken down on the side of the motorway. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. By the way, in case you're listening and you're happening to notice these, what sounds like a raceway behind us, we are indeed doing this from SEMA this year. And if I'm not mistaken, Tanner Faust is out there uh, racing around, wasting tires. Just want to... Tires and fuel are being expended as we speak. But this is radio. We could just say that we're in the back of Tanner's car. Could, but we need a lot more black and blue, that's for sure. Uh, Mike, your car too, your first car. Yeah, my first car was a Mini. I think most people of my generation, that was their first car. It was here in a beige, 
Uh, it was an eight, it was a, an 850 Mini, and I drove everywhere. I dro- I mean, literally everywhere. And it had one inherent fault that I couldn't get rid of. It overheated so badly. So uh, me and my dad, my dad was a mechanic, and, and me and my dad, we changed the radiator. We took the water pump out, you know, the sorry, the thermostat out uh, to try and get a better water flow through the radiator. We tried everything, but for some reason, this thing just would not stop overheating. So I cured the overheating problem. One day, when I was coming back from Brighton on the south coast of England, and I was coming up uh, this huge, great big hill, and I could see the steam appearing under the, under the bonnet, and I thought, oh, it's going to overheat again. So I cured it by removing the sock and placing it over the thermostat in the car, the temperature gauge, so I could never see it again. So that car, that car never overheated again because I never noticed it. And I drove it around literally for three years with a sock over the temperature gauge. I, lo- I love that car. That's, that's great. I love the improvisation. I got a question for you. I named my first car Bridget. Did you name the Mini? Yes. What was the, what was the Mini's name? Uh, <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Am I gonna bleep this? What is it? Uh, no, it was nothing really special. It was. It was what rhymes with mini? It was, it was mini. You called your mini mini. Yeah, as in Minnie Mouse. This is undeniably underwhelming. <laughs> that's, why, that's why it wasn't that special. Okay. Yes. Move on quickly. Yes, yes. Wait a minute. Just one thought though, Minnie Mouse. Uh, you didn't like have a picture of Minnie Mouse or something, a doll hanging in front of it, or the rearview mirror or something? Uh, no, there was other pictures from other magazines that were spread across the back seat, though. Which, you know, car magazines. Yeah. Car magazines. Car Every 17-year-old lad uh, wants these magazines on the back seat of his car. Car magazines. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> possibly. 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 All right. Put it this way. Um, there were airbags in these magazines way before airbags were invented. Bum bum! Hey, we'll see you next week, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, that's very I, funny. I, I have nothing to say at this stage. Uh, we've we've gone from around with Bridget. We, yeah, true. But we've gone we've gone from. Um, Did we have pictures of Bridget in the back seat? I have a picture of Bridget on me. You do? Yeah, I, I'm going to dig it out. Radio, I don't know if you know this. This works. is going to be awesome on radio, but it's going to be pretty. I tell you what, let's we'll. In the room, I'm going to basically find a picture of Bridget. So, if I can describe it, so MG built a number of cars, and the best ones are the round wheel arch, chrome bumper, early MG midget. But of course, I couldn't afford one of them, so I had the worst model, which was the rubber bumper, <laughs> square wheel arch, piece of rubbish. Look, that this is actually Bridget outside my house. Is that orange? It's a vermilion orange, I'll have you know. And um, I remember this, uh, I bought, my brother had a, a Vauxhall Chevette, yeah. mustard oh. colour. Shove it. Shove it, yeah. And I remember coming down here in my brother's Vauxhall Chevette, and just for the benefit of the listeners, my MG's parked outside a white picket fence, very reminiscent of the British countryside. Okay. And he turned in to park here, and the brakes didn't work, and we took that whole fence out oh in the Chevette. Oh my. <laughs> Yikes. Well, there you go. Oh, look at her. Look at her. You see, We're trying you, to find it again. We are trying to find Bridget and do it on Wheeler Dealers. Yeah, we'd like to do it on the show. You should bring out a picture of your mini. I mean, it'll be in black and white, but you should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, carved out of stone. <laughs> okay, so you're going to try and find this car. I mean, I don't know if you heard, but we actually had rubber tires hitting this back wall. Did you hear that? They just flicked up. Did you hear it? They flicked up and hit this curtain. It's got to be 
difficult to find it. What do you do? Get a, do you have to private detective or how do you trace it? Actually, in England, there's a really good online service and it's find a car. Uh, so you can sort of trace your old cars or see how many of those old cars are left. And, uh, and if you uh, nowadays, obviously, we've got social media. So you can reach out, put the registration number up on social media and reach out to thousands of car fans and enthusiasts. So there is... A, uh, the DVLA, which is the Driving Licensing Vehicle Authority in England, uh, they keep records of every car. And so uh, one of the methods we can use when we go back is I'll write to the DVLA and request that they tell me if the car's still registered and where it is registered. They won't tell me that information straight away. They will write to those people and they will say, somebody's trying to you know, get in touch with you. Yeah, and there's another feature that we have in England. I don't know if it exists here in America which is sworn, which is when a, a vehicle is sworn off-road. Uh, so if you're working on a vehicle or you're um, fabricating a car or you're going to store a car and you're not going to use it on the public roads, uh, you can uh, fill in a document online, it's called sworn, and that, me that vehicle is then registered off-road. So it means that the car is not legal to drive on the road until you re-register it uh, with the same number uh, to come back on the road. And that's a way for the government in England to keep a tab of every car, what they're doing, where they're moving, and every car should have tax paid on it every year to be used on the road, and insurance, every car has to have insurance. And if you haven't got, uh, if your car's sawn off-road, therefore it's not got no tax or insurance and you're using it, you're breaking the law. And the wow. I wish California had a rule like that because that would be awesome to try and find your own. Easy thing, I think, to do as well. Yeah, so on. It's quite it's just an online database, basically. Off-road notification. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Uh, I want to fast forward a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about the show, obviously. Uh, I'd like to know the reaction you had. What were you doing when the call came in or where it came from when you found out you had a shot at working for Wheeler Dealers? Um, well, I've been friends with Mike and Ed for five, six years, and I've worked done a lot of work with Mike. We do a lot of charity stuff together. We do a lot of live stage stuff together. And um, I got a phone call one afternoon, and uh, this gentleman next to me was on the phone and said, hey, can you go somewhere private? Maybe you should sit down. Um, and I knew, because the, the truth is, is that before Ed made a decision to leave, he actually drove three hours out of his way to my workshop sat down in my office, brought a cake, and Ed told me first. Um, I then got the call from Mike, and um, yeah, I, I, I took the job immediately. It was, it's an established show. It's the oldest car show. It's the show that I, like millions of other people, grew up watching, and the opportunity to be able to work with Mike, um, it's just too good to turn down. And I'm so glad I did, because we've had a ball making it. Yeah, we have. Yeah, it's been a blast. And, you know, to step into the role of Ed, and he was a big character, you know, a huge part of the, the last 13 years and the adventures we've had. Uh, to step into that role isn't going to be easy for anyone. And we're under the microscope at the moment and the spotlight of people trying to find differences between Ant and Ed and how we change the show and what are we doing with the show. But the evidence is out there. Ant stepped in, he's picked up the tools, he's wrenched like nobody's wrenched before. And now we've got a show that's beating our previous records in terms of its audience. Uh, we've got a new audience as well. And uh, no disrespect to what went on before, but you know, I think the show's on to bigger and better things. That's all shows you know go through transformations i think our one's transformed for the better absolutely well i was talking to the overholland crew courtney left aj janet comes in i remember a tv show called cheers here in america shelly long left 
And there was a huge, you know, everybody uproar, and then they brought in Kirstie Alley, and oh, this was this, and this was that. Turned out to be like the show went another nine years. Yeah, we've got a show in England called, uh, it's a very, it's the biggest show in England at the moment called The Great British Bake Off. And it's a huge deal. And uh, the BBC that owned that show uh, lost it uh, because it was owned by a production company to a commercial channel called Channel 4. And the hosts of the show, all bar one, refused to move. They all oh, know we're, we're staying with the BBC. We would never go and muddy ourselves with this commercial channel. Except for one of the hosts, a guy called Paul, he went with the new show. A, car, a real car guy as well. He went with the show uh, to Channel 4. Guess what? The show come on. It's got new hosts. It's got one guy that you recognise. And it's the same show. And guess what? It's now the biggest show on British television, but it's on Channel 4. Nothing changed. You know why? Because it's about cakes. And that's like Wheeler Dealers. It's about cars. It's not about us two. It's about the cars. My wife watched the show. She's kind of a peripheral car person, but she heard all the hubbub and everything. She watched the show and she goes, you know something? It's not the same show, but it's better in a sense because you're a different person. You do different things. The whole thing about you drawing designs and stuff on, where did that come from? And the fact that what's the reaction you're getting as far as all the different things that you're doing on the show? Because frankly, it's kind of giving it a diff completely different look. Yeah, I mean, Mike's right. There's two ways to skin a cat. And, you, you know, every mechanic has a different way to do a simple job, like changing a set of brake pads. And I'll do it my way based on my life's experience. And you talk about drawings. Um, I'm a very analytical person and I love the devil and the detail. And I think there's a really good chance for people to, first of all, understand the science before implementing it. So the best way or the most visual way to teach someone how something works is often to draw it and I you know, I'm a father as well I've got two children 14 and 11 and I often get asked a question by my children dad how does that work and it always starts with a blank bit of paper and a pen and naturally at the end of it they understand it or they're supposed to <laughs> before we let you go you guys have been great here with us today some have asked I know Velocity owns a show now do you think the show will ever maybe go back to England for an episode or two Oh yeah, definitely. We are uh, currently talking uh, about the future of Wheeler Dealers uh, at the moment. And part of that future plan is to source cars from either the UK or Europe or the rest of the world. Um, and I know there's a huge uh, online community out there of UK fans that want the show made back in England. But the truth is, 90% of the show is in the workshop that has no windows. So you don't see the outside anyway. We could be in Birmingham, England, and people uh, haven't realized that. But, you know, we've got, both me and Ant, we're inundated with Australia, Germany, France, Holland, Belgium, Japan, South America, all want us to do a version of the show in those regions and in those territories. So uh, at the moment, we're enjoying our little American holiday, and why wouldn't we? It's a great country to work in, some fantastic cars. Um, and it's very familiar to us to work here. It's easy to work here. Um, but absolutely, definitely, we'll be coming back to the UK and we will be buying cars in the UK again. Kudos to you, though, for being able to handle a really tough transition, in a sense, because people really got on your case. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a very, you know, it's been a very nasty time, and, and that's been driven uh, by the fact that there's been a few things that are simply not true uh, said online, and, and it hurts. You know, I, I worked with, uh, with Ed for 13 years. We had a great relationship together. We made some amazing shows. We had some brilliant adventures. But when Ed left, he said some things about the show that were simply not true. He, he basically said that they were going to cut down his sequences, uh, cheapen the show, lessen that he's role in the program. 
it, this is Velocity Channel. They would never do that. That's There's not one piece of evidence that that was never asked or even spoke about. Why he said that, nobody knows. Uh, but because he said that and I stayed, I become the bad guy, the punch bag uh, for the fans out there. And, uh, you know, they, they told me, you know, the fans said, you know, they were burning effigies of me. Uh, you know, I've been insulted in restaurants. I've been insulted in the street at car shows here in America as well. I've been insulted quite a bit. Uh, and it's very tough for me to deal with because I'm a likable guy. You know me, Randy. I'm, You're a likable guy. I've got, I've got a nasty bone in my body. I'm just a car guy. And uh, for me to, to have to deal with that, it, it was painful. Um, but the evidence now is there for people to see. And we've got a new kind of anger because now the show's out and people can see that it hasn't changed. It is about cars. We have got mechanics. Oh, and it's brilliant. That can actually really do the job. So now the new anger from the same people is they're angry because they are being proven wrong. And now they're, oh, I don't believe it. This shows it's not the same. So they're now analytical, anal being analytical over every frame of the program and saying, you, Ed would have done it this way or it's different. And quite rightly, yes, Ed would have done it his way and does it his way. At the moment, this is the way it is. Me and Ant have got a fantastic working relationship. We care passionately about our craft, about the car trade and about what we do. And all we want to do is inform, educate and save cars. And for us, we're not stars. We aren't stars. There's lines of people out there waiting to queue up to get a picture with us and an autograph. It's, truthfully, we're not, we're, we'll do it because it pleases them. But for us, the cars are the star. It's always been about the cars. Wheeler Dealers hosts Mike Brewer and Ant Anstead. And keep your eyes open for a new season with the guys on Velocity and overseas on Discovery. One of the new segments I'm doing here on Talking About Cars, my regular car guy stories. That's right. Stories involving people at car shows with their cars, and they get to tell the story. Burbank, California's Bill Winkleman recently bought a 1955 DeSoto Survivor that you can see on our Talking About Cars Twitter account. Now, that DeSoto has a rather interesting story. I caught up with Bill at Fireball Tim's Wheels and Waves in Malibu. It's a 1955 DeSoto Fireflight Coronado. Its original Pasadena car was bought and was put in a garage in 1971. It did not come out until 1993. Fortunately, it's all original because they packed it in cloth. There was no plastic used when this car was stored. It's what they call a spring special. They made them in the spring to get people into the showrooms to buy the old inventory. And this particular car, there are only 483 of them. Now you say spring special. What does that mean? Chrysler would bring things out in March or April of the of the end of the model year, and they'd call it a spring special. They'd put special side trim or special paint. Um, and the DeSoto and Dodge, they put a tritone, which is this particular body style. And the Coronado badge that you see here down on the bottom, that's indicative of this particular model. Um, this is only painted in these three colors. A Coronado can only be turquoise, white, and black, and they will interchange the colors. However, this is the most common way it was done. Turquoise body, white side spear, black top. And you know one thing that's impressed me? I have friends that have DeSotos and their hubcaps. These are hubcaps that you just can't replace. Nope, absolutely not. In fact, everything on this car is original. Paint, hot metal. The only thing that was redone was the bumpers. When we did get the car, the bumpers were gray, so those have been replated. But everything else is as you see it. Um, the Coronado badges were almost lost at a Cromers. That was a, another story, but fortunately we have them. You figure there's only 483 of these cars. There's only double that in the number of, of those that they made. So you're not gonna, those are rarer than hen's teeth. 
Wow, that's incredible. And take a look on the inside. You have the DeSoto Fireflight 8, which I guess was, now this wasn't or wasn't a Hemi? This is a Hemi. Um, Chrysler and uh, DeSoto had the Hemis. This is a smaller version. Of course, Chrysler had to have the 331. This is a 291 cubic inch, four barrel carburetor. So this is the first year of Fireflight. So it's rated at 200 horsepower versus 185 for the Fire Dome. And take a look at the battery. This is what? It's a 6-volt. So last year, Chrysler had 6-volt. Unfortunately, that's been a little bit of a sore spot. But, you know, you, you go to good good manufacturers, you can get a good 6-volt battery. Have you ever thought about moving into a 12-volt, or would that screw up the whole uh, survivor mode? Well, yeah. And I really like bone stock stuff. I mean, there are a couple things on this car that are probably a little changed. However, this is pretty much the way it was in the showroom in 1955, and I'm pleased as heck that we kept it that way. This is the last year that DeSoto's had teeth. That was a trademark of the brand, came out in the early 40s, and um, they had the teeth right up until 55. In 56, what they did is they took this um, parking light off, they put it right in this thing, and this was made a mesh with a, with a Chrysler emblem in it. So this is the last year, and these are wildly popular with customizers. Oh, yeah, you could take a look. In fact, they take this whole grill setup, and they'll put it on Chevys and Fords and all that. You could see that just uh, all the time. If you ever see a teeth like this, it's obviously from a DeSoto, and they've had this for years. Yep, 53, 54, 55 are probably the most popular ones that they use, but 55, I think, as you said, in a lot of other cars. Are you familiar at all with this wing here? I mean, the the, the logo. What is what is that for as DeSoto's? Well, everything on this car has got V8. And in fact, 55 was the first year that DeSoto dropped their six, and they only had V8s in all their cars. This V logo is all over the car. You'll see it in the back with the eight. And then this is just the, um, the I guess, the applique that they used in the front for the... Uh, yeah, with the eagle or whatever that is. Exactly. Okay. Now... Let's take a look back here and the trunk, too. I mean, I assume what's in the trunk is also original. I mean, take it's got its original mat. This is the original trunk mat. It's just amazing. They did not put it on the right side by the jack. I guess they didn't want it to get all smashed up. But everything, as you see, right across is original. Even got our uh, the changing tire instructions up there is all. That's original from 55. And everything's as you see it. What we did when we got this car is we really, really detailed it because we were going to a car show that the people are pretty particular. So, uh, obviously, the chrome is brand new. I mean, this is just shining. But, again, the pot metal here around the uh, back uh, taillights uh, looks really good. All original. Fortunately, when this car was stored in 1970-71, um, it was covered in cloth. And that's really what helped any moisture from getting in the car, and that's what preserved these to look as nice as they do today. And that goes straight all the way down the sides. Uh, everything you see is all as, as it was original. There's a little bit of pinning in a couple of places, but nothing substantial. Now, the 56 DeSoto, basic same body style, but they had the different taillights. That's when they started the three-light setup. Exactly. They had a, the tail, the uh, fin kicked up a little bit. And they put, as you say, three three tail lights on each side. Right. It's interesting how the car looks body-wise pretty much the same, but obviously, as you said, it when they went to twelve volt, right. and the different tail lights and some other things, it's virtually different. Yes, and the one thing is, fifty sixes are the that's the year they went to push button. Remember, Desoto was just under uh, Imperial, or no, no, just under, under Chrysler, Chrysler right. under Chrysler. 
It was uh, right above the Dodge and right below the Chrysler. And the thing about this car is that this is pretty much a Chrysler. It's on the same wheelbase as a Chrysler car, and it's essentially the same uh, roof line. Everything is the same as a Chrysler sedan. I would imagine when you first saw this, this was a shock. Were you looking for something like this? Long story short, the first um, um, uh, edition of Collectible Automobile that I saw was in Seattle, and it actually had this car on it, this um, type of car. And we've since met the owners of that particular car. But when I saw it later on in Pomona, it was at the swap meet. I saw the teeth from way back by the bleachers because my partner was looking at you know Volkswagens. So... We, I looked in the back and I saw the turquoise paint and then I said, oh my God, is that a Coronado? And he goes, well, what's that? So I told him and everything and sure enough, as we got closer, I could see the Coronado badges on the side underneath the Fireflight word and that was it. And it was, it was unbelievably reasonable the day we bought it. it was Give me a general idea of what you paid for it, if you don't mind. A little less than $5,000. Yeah, it it had it had come out of the garage. They wanted twenty for it. That immediately dropped to ten when they took it to a Chrysler dealer and had it appraised. They dropped that to seventy-five, then to fifty-five. Somebody offered them four thousand the day that we saw it. And one of our buddies who owns a, a Desoto Adventure, he said, "Just go back and offer them half of the dis difference." So I, I made an offer of forty-eight, and the next day the car was ours. Now it's time for you, the car fan, to share your experiences with your cars, like. Have you ever run out of gas while driving your classic car or even your daily driver? I ran out of gas when I was 12 years old with my dad and my best friend. He left us. I started crying. It had been 30 minutes. I had no idea where he was at. Your dad, my Fine. dad left? Yep. He left us because he went to go get gas. I started crying. I thought the world was over. I thought I was dead. I thought I didn't have a dad. He finally showed up about an hour after I started crying. So about an hour and a half into the whole ordeal. It was amazing. I saw my dad all over again. And we finally made it back, and he got gas for us. So what did he, when he left, did, what did he say to you? I mean, he kind of told you where he was going, right? He said, son, the, na the Marcus name is under you and, my, and your other brother. And uh, if I don't make it back, that's no, it. You're it. Where, where was this? It, it sounds like... Pretty intense. It was pretty intense. It was uh, over by San Diego State on the 8, I believe. We were driving on the 8. We were driving back home to Calexico, California. Um, but, yeah, no, it was pretty intense. So you're not buying any of this? I'm not. He's lying. No, He's totally lying. Was, I actually have a real story. It definitely happened. Can, can, I, can I share the real story? You can ask my best friend no, from back home. Lying. Excuse my language. What? Sorry. So, so my real story is, so when I was in college, I, I always drive when my gas tank says empty because uh, my dad told me not to, but I always do it anyway. And when I was in college, I actually stopped on the Bay Bridge and I ran out of gas and I, caught a, I had to call my boyfriend. That never happened. No, I swear to God it did. Yeah, and I called my boyfriend at the time mean? who had to come in and give me gas. What or boyfriend whatever. was that? Arlen. Number one, number two, number, number three, number one. four. Okay, number one. Okay. Yeah, so it, it's a true story. Yeah, I don't know if I believe it, Miranda. It's a true story. I don't know, maybe. Okay, so wait a minute. Why exactly would you, like, never put gas in your car? Because I'm a woman, and I think that men should probably do that for us, and I'm lazy, and every time, it's to me, it's an indicator. I just don't really do it. Randy, I don't buy into all this. I, I, well, I never really put gas in my car. I never do. You could ask my husband of 10 years now. Randy, I don't know. You should ask the husband. Who's your husband of 10 years? Right over here, right Michael Hernandez. No, no okay, okay. So, Candy. Well, who's, wait, wait. If, if, who's this guy? My brother. Ask him, does he ever, do I ever put gas in my car? No, never. I, I fill up all the gas. All right. I, I so hate it's it. plausible that she would, like, run out of gas sometime. Oh, definitely. It's like 98% uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to happen. Yeah. 
don't care if you guys are telling the truth or not. You guys are hysterical. All right. Two times in two days in two different cars and picked up by the same guy to go get gas each day. <laughs> how did that happen? Good. Where and how did that happen? That was in the uh, Philadelphia area of Pennsylvania, and it was back in the 1990s sometime. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you were driving two rental cars? Or? Well, no, two of the cars that I own. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. What about you? Have you ever run out of gas? What's your car, sir? No, I have never run out of gas because I watch my gauge. I don't. Ooh. I don't. He watch his gauge. Does not watch his gauge. All right. I haven't run out of gas. Um, I had a friend that ran out of gas on the freeway, and I was behind them, and I uh, I just got out. We both got out of the car, and I just told them, just put it in neutral, and I pushed them all the way off the freeway. So it went about a mile. Yeah. <laughs> That's my best story. Did he know he was getting close to running out of gas? Oh, yeah, they knew. They were pushing. We were teenagers, so <laughs> we didn't know any better back then. <laughs> Did you ever run out of gas? I never ran out of gas, no. You were too good to do it. Too smart. I checked that gauge. <laughs> I'm sure you've never done that before, right? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe to all of our new podcasts here on the new home at radio.com. Plus, rate us and write a review. Tell all of your friends about our show on iTunes. Plus, you could listen to our original episodes called Talking About Cars Classic on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if you want to hear our original interview with the guys, Mike and Ed, that's Talking About Cars 13, 14, and 15. Here were long interviews. I had to cut it up. Don't forget to follow us also on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have videos on YouTube, also Facebook, also Twitter. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. We're all over the place. Don't forget to join me for Talking About Cars 101 when we talk to Candy Clark from the movie American Graffiti. We're going to have some fun with her talking about cars. <laughs>